Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Thursday, October 5th. I'm Adam Leventhal. Today, reaction as... Newcastle thrash Paris Saint-Germain. They were harrying PSG and motivating Newcastle's players to oppress, which it felt like PSG could not quite live with. The 2030 World Cup goes to six countries. This is one of those kind of surprises on the day that's been actually pretty well signposted. And Liverpool want a Spurs replay. Klopp's comments certainly breathe new life into the story. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Adam Leventhal. We start in the Champions League and at St James's Park where Newcastle shocked everyone, especially Paris Saint-Germain, with a thumping 4-1 victory over the French champions. It's trippy, that's a lovely ball. It's 20 years since Newcastle were last in the competition and it looked like they belonged at the top table, didn't it? Goals from Almiron, Byrne and Longstaff made it 3-0 before Hernandez pulled one back and then Cher capped off a great night with a late fourth. Jacob Whitehead was there. Just sum up the atmosphere for us, Jacob. Well, you can probably just hear the last bits of it now just draining away. It's been a night which Newcastle have been waiting for, not just for 20 years, but I mean, for the last five months simply qualified for the last month since the draw was made and it's just been percolating through the city throughout the day. Just from the first five minutes, 15 minutes, you could tell the extent to which it was motivating the players. They were harrying PSG and motivating Newcastle's players to oppress, which it felt like PSG could not quite live with. Tactically, you've mentioned there that they were they were on point, they were hassling and, and harrying Paris Saint-Germain, but what else did they do that really just caught Paris Saint-Germain off guard? I think one interesting thing is the form of the midfield. It's been a unit who has struggled to settle slightly early in the year. Eddie Howe has always been insistent that they would come through. Sandro Tonali was recalled to the team here and his intensity really embodied that. Now, Luis Enrique only played two PSG players in the middle. Newcastle had three and that was the area where it really felt like they won the game and got superiority. Enrique didn't really change and almost just played into Newcastle's hands because that was where they were just creating opportunities from, forcing those high turnovers and using their numbers to exploit. So much has been said about the, the money involved with both of these sides, but two of the goal scorers for Newcastle, local boys, just to add to the, the romance of the whole night, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting that three of the team were players who were here before the takeover in Almiron, Longstaff and Fabian Scher. I mean, the fourth, Byrne, is hardly a kind of big money takeover signing. He's a player who was actually released by Newcastle when he was 11 years old. He's jumped to this sort of moment. It's not pure romanticism. There are reasons 
investment reasons, geopolitical reasons why Newcastle are where they are. But on nights like this, it's hard not to get swept up in that romanticism of it when you kind of know the stories which these players have. All four of those I've just mentioned, they've all been doubted at different points of their careers and they've had that almost complete, in fact, completion of a circle in a majestic way this evening. Jacob, thank you very much indeed. Now, what about the other side of the coin then, also at St. James's Park? Watching the Paris Saint-Germain angle was Peter Rutzler. Well, this proved to be a chastening night for Paris Saint-Germain, who pretty much wilted, I think, in the intensity and the, the furnace of St. James's Park. From the get-go, Newcastle pressed them hard, pressed them high, and they, they weren't able to cope with it. You know, their setup with, you know, four forwards seemed brave. You know, it suggested that Luis Enrique thought his side would have much of the ball, and they did. But it also suggested that they would cope with how Newcastle pressed and that they wouldn't sit off. And, and ultimately, Newcastle used the crowd, used the energy, and really pushed PSG back and forced mistakes. And those mistakes were punished ruthlessly. It is a young team. This is the new start of a, a new project in, in Paris. And, you know, that has to be considered. But, you know, the performance itself really fell short of the quality that they have. You know, we didn't see Kylian Mbappe get into the game at all. You know, he was marked out the game pretty well and full credit has to go to, to Newcastle for that. You know, Eddie Howe has tactically got this game absolutely spot on. He, he knew the weaknesses in the PSG team where they could feel vulnerability and that was certainly, you know, when they tried to start their, their build-up. You know, every single goal kick, they were harried and harried and the crowd were on top of them and, and PSG just did not cope with that. So this is a re result that will reverberate around Paris. There'll be recriminations and it's a lesson. It's a reality check for, for PSG, no doubt about it. And a memorable night for Newcastle. Meanwhile, in the other game, in that group, it was a goalless draw between Borussia Dortmund and AC Milan. Now to the night's other results. In Group G, Manchester City made it two wins from two with a 3-1 win at RB Leipzig. It was 1-1 until the 84th minute before subs Julian Alvarez and Jeremy Doku wrapped things up. Alvarez! Oh, that is absolutely brilliant! How did he do that? Check that out again! Everyone was perfect. Elsewhere in Group H, Barcelona beat Porto 1-0 thanks to Ferran Torres. In the group's other game, Antwerp, who Barca beat 5-0 in the opening group game, lost 3-2 at home to Shakhtar Donetsk. And it's two defeats from two for Celtic after a 2-1 loss at home to Lazio, the winner from Pedro deep in stoppage time. Here's Gendouzi, Lazio have players forward and it's headed in! Oh, what a finish that is from Pedro! Atletico Madrid beat Feyenoord 3-2 in Group E's other game. We'll have more on tonight's European action to come a little bit later on. Now to the big 2030 World Cup news, which will be held in three joint host countries, Morocco, Portugal and Spain, but with the opening three games in Uruguay, Argentina and Paraguay to mark the centenary of the first World Cup. To our senior football news reporter, Matt Slater, just to explain how we got to this point, Matt. Oh, wow. OK, well, look, uh, I suppose the simple way of thinking about this is whose turn was it, right? So there are six confederations in global football, five big ones and Oceania. And um, Oceania is basically New Zealand and a collection of Pacific Islands of your five big ones, you've got Asia, Africa, Europe, and then North and Central America and South America. So whose turn was it? Well, 2022 was in Qatar, in Asia. 2026 is going to be in 
the US, Mexico, and Canada. That's CONCACAF or North and Central America. So it was kind of South America versus Europe, the way it used to be, with Africa as well available. So jockeying for position over the last few years, we've had a very, very strong European bid. In fact, we had a few, but Europe didn't want to split the vote. So England, UK, that bid was sort of politely told to step aside and take the Euros. There you are, sir. Avoid being embarrassed again. We're going to get behind. We're not going to split our votes. Spain, Portugal, right? And then last year, or beginning of this year, actually, they had the clever wheeze of tacking on Morocco, just across the Straits of Gibraltar, bring a load of African votes in. There you go, 100 plus votes, halfway there. And that made Spain, Portugal, Morocco your your hot favourite. However, probably first out of the traps and the early favourite, though it wasn't favourite very long, was the centenary, the romantic choice. First ever World Cup, 1930, in Uruguay. Uruguay's got a population of about three and a half million. That's that's a big ask, you know, 48 teams, 104 games. So it was always going to share it, and it was going to share it with Argentina, which is just across the way, Paraguay, and Chile. There's going to be four of them. Bit of a problem. None of those four countries really have a FIFA standard stadium. Not not up to modern FIFA standards anyway. So there's going to be an awful lot of building required, a lot of money required. So the South American bid, whilst romantic, ticks the uh, history box, was a long way behind in the sort of nuts and bolts of a bid. So that European bid always looked the best. So really, that's how we got here. It's a kind of face-saving, everyone's happy, no one's a loser. Actually, Commabol, South America and UEFA Europe, have been getting on pretty well for the last few years. They've often teamed up together against some of FIFA's excesses, if you like. Uh, they've got a memorandum of understanding. They've been cooperating. The Finalissima, for example, in Wembley, they've got a joint office. So really, this is one of those kind of surprises on the day that's been actually kind of pretty well signposted. So that's 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 why we've got six. Oh, sorry. Poor old Chile, of course, got dumped. Yeah, I forgot about them. So did FIFA. And in terms of what this now means, does this just give Saudi Arabia a free run at 2034? Oh. Well, look, I've mentioned six winners. Is there a seventh? Well, look, Saudi Arabia have been sniffing around 2030 for a bit. They got very annoyed that Qatar wouldn't share their World Cup with them. They've done a lot of the the heavy lifting already, the the memorandums of understanding with African nations, the throwing money at football, sporting events, they're getting people on committees. This race has just started. They're already like off in the distance. Now, that's not to say, oh, and also, sorry, because of that confederation rotation, right, where you take turns, you've actually just taken three confederations out of the picture in one World Cup, Africa, South America, and Europe. So, hey, it's Asia's turn again. And look, yes, Saudi Arabia uh, have already thrown their bid in to host it on their own. Now, will others come in? Will China? China's wanted one for a while. Is China ready? Is China still like good enough at football to, to stage one? India, Southeast Asia, some of the nations there have been talking about it. Could we get a Oceania, Asia, Australia, New Zealand double act? Because Australia counts as Asia in footballing terms. They've just done a Women's World Cup. So look, look, there are going to be some other bids. It's just that Saudi Arabia is streets ahead. And they want to make a decision next year. So it's almost like it's being stage managed for them, dare I say. Matt, thank you very much. Much more reaction and analysis on this story on The Athletic. You're listening to The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. 
Tonight, Liverpool play Royal Union Saint-Gilloise at Anfield in the Europa League, but VAR controversy rumbles on. In short, they lost to Spurs 2-1, but they were denied a perfectly good Luis Diaz goal because of VAR meltdown. On-field decision was offside. Are you happy with this Never image? Yes, yeah, onside. The image we gave you is onside. He's played, he's yeah. gone offside. Well, after hearing that, Jurgen Klopp says in an ideal world, the game should be replayed. Well, our Liverpool reporter James Pearce was there when he said it. Just try and sum up the impact of it. It was a bit of a bolt out of the blue, Jurgen Klopp saying that that he wanted the game to be replayed. I think it's important to caveat that with the fact that he also said in the next breath that it probably won't happen. I think he, he knows that himself deep down, but he, he said, you know, from his point of view, it is unprecedented that, that something like this had gone on and that that's why he feels it it should be should be played again. But just when you thought with the audio coming out on Tuesday and the PGMOL statement, you thought, well, maybe we're all about to move on from the events at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday night and... Klopp's comments certainly breathed new life into the story. Now, Liverpool said in their original statement on the issue that they'd explore a range of options available to them. Where do you think that this is heading? No matter what Klopp said, they aren't going to get a replayed game. They aren't going to get any points back that they they think they were unfairly denied on the weekend. That's not going to happen. But you know what they do want is to ensure the process is improved and robust enough to ensure that no no other team finds himself in this position again. And on the game tonight, including VAR, they won their opening game 3-1 against Lask. It's Brighton away in the Premier League on Sunday. So how is Klopp planning to approach this one? I'd be amazed if he risked people like Mo Salah and Zaboslai and Virgil van Dijk. He'll use the depth of his squad and, you know, yes, for these teams in Liverpool's Europa League group, you have to be wary because as we saw in that first game against Lask, it's a massive deal for them to be coming up against Liverpool. But, you know, there, there should be a golfing class that should be evident even if Klopp does make, you know, eight, nine or ten changes. Well, the Liverpool game is at eight o'clock in the UK. That's three o'clock Eastern time. More from James and our Liverpool crew on the walk-on pod. Well, also in the Europa League, West Ham are in Germany to play Freiburg. Both teams won their opening games. That's at 5.45 in the UK, 12.45 Eastern. Same times for Rangers. They're aiming to follow up their opening win against Betis. They're in Cyprus to face Aris. Stephen Davis in temporary charge after Michael Beale was sacked. Frank Lampard in the mix for that job. Brighton are in Marseille for one of the earlier kickoffs as well, aiming to get back on track after that 6-1 hammering at Aston Villa in the Premier League. Three defeats in four for Roberto De Zerbi's side, including in their opening group game in Europe. Well, Villa play in the Conference League at 8 o'clock against Zerinski from Bosnia and Herzegovina. That's one of 16 games in that competition tonight. All the Europa League and Europa Conference League games are live in the UK on TNT Sports. In the States, it's on Paramount+. Plus. Right, that's all for today. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Adam Leventhal. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Mike Zimmerman. And the executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If you're new to the show, we'd love you to subscribe and come back for more. Feel free to leave us a review as well if you can. Michael Bailey will be with you tomorrow. Take care till then. The Athletic.